Our reading today is taken from Acts chapter 8, from verse 26 to 40, and that should be on the, coming up on the screen. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of the treasury of Kandake, which means Queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to worship Jerusalem in, in, to, to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, "Go to that chariot and stay near it." Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. "Do you understand what you are reading?" Philip asked. "How can I?" he said, "unless someone explains it to me." So he invited Philip to come and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptised him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and travelled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word this morning. Testing. Morning. Romans 6. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin, so how can we live in it any longer? Now, don't you know um, that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism in death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too might live a new life. That'll do for our second reading, a very clear illustration of certainly the meaning and probably also the means of baptism, though that is disputed. We, uh, this is Baptism Sunday for us. Pastor, the pastors go on a retreat at the end of the year and last December we 
then set aside four dates throughout the year where we say, okay, there's going to be a baptism Sunday. And we did that last December, and today was the day in which we were going to have people uh, getting baptised, teaching specifically on baptism, and so that's what we're doing. We're not actually baptising anybody in this service. We usually do. There are a couple of baptisms in our next service, but in each of our services today, including our Chinese congregations, they'll be teaching from these passages and teaching the truth of baptism. I'm going to pray in a moment, but before I do, you are aware that we're having a special members meeting this afternoon. There's been a flurry of activity in the last little while of emails and texts, and, and they're still going on. The pastoral team is going to have a meeting this morning at 9.30 um, to make a response to a response we got from Daryl, Daryl Sampson, uh, to consider the issue about not going to a special members meeting, but going to arbitration, of agreeing to that. Uh, it would be good if that happens, uh, but the pastoral team has to get their head around a couple of things, so pray about that. Unfortunately, I don't think we'll make that decision before you guys have left, so please keep your phones with you, keep your, uh, look at your emails today, and uh, if we make the decision this morning to, uh, to cancel it, then we will send, communicate that. Where's Pete? He's here somewhere. What are you doing all the way down here? You're always back up there. Welcome to the front. <laughs> we'll be in touch, Pete. Uh, if you can hang around after that service, we may need to send an email out to the wider community. Um, it's not as simple as what it sounds, but all these issues are always complicated, aren't they? But, so the pastoral team will be doing that. So my brain's not here, my brain's somewhere else, obviously. So this will be really interesting to see what comes out my mouth this morning. We're going to pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we've just read the truth of uh, baptism, of uh, a brand new believer in the Ethiopian eunuch coming to faith through reading your word, understanding the gospel, and then being baptized. And Paul teaches us that baptism is our declaration to follow Jesus. We die to ourselves and to our old way of life. We rise to a new life and we walk in obedience to you, Lord Jesus. So I pray that you would guide the pastoral team this morning. pray that you would uh, guide them in their decision about this, give them wisdom, and continue to give them grace that this matter might be resolved um, in a way that pleases and honours you. We also pray for ourselves here this morning that you would be pleased to remind us, teach us, Help us to recall not only our own baptism, but the meaning and truth of all that you have done for us, Lord Jesus, as we consider this wonderful ordinance or sacrament that you have given us. Help us to enter into the depths, or more into the depths of it this morning. We pray in your name, Jesus. And everybody said. Baptism, along with Lord's Supper, are the two recognised either ordinances, which is the common Baptist word that is used, or sacraments, which other denominations use. I prefer the word sacraments, but it's all personal, and it depends on the definition of the word ordinance and the definition of the word sacrament. A sacrament, to me, simply means it's a visible outward sign of an inward spiritual grace, an invisible grace. It's a physical demonstration of an inward reality. But it's also a commitment to the one that these emblems are representing. In this case, both the Lord's Supper and Baptism point to and tell us truths about the Lord Jesus. As we participate in it, we are 
identifying with him and we are committing ourselves afresh to being obedient to him. An ordinance is something which is authorised by another, ordained by them, for us to do a, a ritual or a ceremony. Both words are fully acceptable and we ought not to use any, lose any sleep over it. Um, certainly the Catholic Church and perhaps some others use the word sacrament in a very different way, which is not the way that I'm using it and not a correct way. Uh, things do not happen automatically in the kingdom of God. It's not by doing something physical that something spiritual is transferred to you. There has to be, the Bible teaches consistently, the response of faith. And then the symbols are enforcing and encouraging and supporting faith. In these sacraments and ordinances, and particularly this morning, baptism, they represent, as I said, the Lord Jesus and his benefits to us. It reconfirms our commitment and our interest in him, and by participating in it, it's actually subtly but nonetheless doing it, distinguishing us from those who are not followers of the Lord Jesus. The Spirit of God uses the words, both at baptism and in the supper, to impart my theology, God's grace to us, not saving grace, God's common grace, God's blessing, God's favour, God's kindness and goodness to us. We are reminded of all of who he is and what he has done for us and we are thankful. Baptism is Christocentric, centred on the person of the Lord Jesus. It's his death, it's his resurrection, it's us identifying with him in that, like the Roman 6 passage says. He is the one, I said, who has sanctified this, who has authorised this. And in it, we remember, we rehearse the gospel, we recall the work of Christ, we rejoice in all that Christ has done for us, and we recommit ourselves to him. Baptism is an important subject. The Bible talks about it nearly a hundred times. When I say that, it talks about the word baptizo, I don't normally like quoting Greek words, and baptisma, they're used 80 times and 22 times respectively, but it's a verb in the noun, and it's when John the Baptist, that's a lot of references, John baptizing, John's baptism, it's used about 10 times for the Holy Spirit baptism, it's the word that is used of any ceremonial Jewish washings, interesting, that's a secondary use of the word. But its primary meaning is, as we'll come to, meaning to immerse or to dip. No dispute there. We should certainly know as followers of the Lord Jesus its purpose, its meaning and its significance. Baptism has been commanded, it was practiced in the early church and it's been assumed in all of the New Testament epistles. I have out of my files, you can get a photocopy of this if you want one. You pay me 20 bucks, I'll give it to you. Well, pay Pete 20 bucks, he'll do it for you. It's all of the references to baptism in the New Testament, every single one of them, where the word appears. So you can do your own study if you like. Um, and I've categorised them according to the type of reference it is. There are certainly some strange verses in the New Testament, strange expressions that may make you a little bit uncomfortable when you first read them. And some churches people can certainly misunderstand Scripture by using them. For instance, in Acts chapter 2, where Peter says... You need to repent, be baptised for the forgiveness of sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Some people misunderstand that. If you need to repent, we understand that. You need to be baptised, we understand that, 
for the forgiveness of sins. We do not baptise so that we can be forgiven. We baptise because we have been forgiven. It's a strange and unusual use of the word for. We do it in other languages, but in that sense it sort of confuses us a little bit. Rhonda Evans has been um, confined to prison for murdering her husband. I understand there's not many, much objection to that. She should have got off as innocent, but anyway. Why is she in prison? For murdering her husband. Because she did that, that's the consequence. Understand the use of the word for? It's because of. So here in that sentence, it's the same thing. Repent and be baptised because you have been forgiven for your sins. Okay? There are some other strange uses as well, which I'm not going to spend all morning going through those. Um, Acts 22 talks about where Paul is instructed, rise, stand up, be baptised and wash away your sins. 1 Corinthians 15 talks about baptism for the dead, which the Mormons are the only one, as far as I know, these days who have revitalised that practice. It's a pagan practice, not a Christian practice. Um, in Colossians and Romans, it'll talk about, and Peter, it'll talk about, Peter has this strange, baptism now saves you. That'll cause your knees to wobble a little bit till you read the passage carefully. And it's the pledge of a conscience to God, pledge of a clear conscience to God. So the New Testament contains sometimes some strange, awkward phrases attached to baptism, but generally it's reasonably clear. Let me go quickly through the history of baptism. Baptism was around before Jesus instituted it, particularly in Matthew 28. The Jews actually used to baptise. John the Baptist, when he came, was baptising, but he simply took the practice of Judaism, one of their practices, and simply applied it to God's people, to the Jewish people. What the Jews used to do is that Matthew 23 tells us, Jesus says the Pharisees go into all the nations of the world, make various disciples and converts to themselves, and one of the things they would do is the new convert, the Gentile, who was becoming a believer, a follower of the God of Israel, he would have to offer a sacrifice. If he was a male, he would have to be circumcised. You have to be committed, wouldn't you? He would then be baptised with three witnesses by himself. He would duck himself under the water. He would immerse himself. And they used, interestingly, the phrase or the expression that that Gentile who has been offered a sacrifice, now circumcised, now confessed his faith in the God of Israel, he has now been born of water. Interesting. That's what Jesus says in John chapter 3 to Nicodemus. Unless you're born of water and of the Spirit, you have no part in the kingdom of God. It's a Jewish expression. Interestingly, if a Gentile did become a follower of uh, the ways of Judaism then if he was a married man and he had children, then the wife and the children were baptised as well. But any children who were born after the act of baptism were not baptised. Why? Because the children who were born after he was baptised were considered to be in his loins when he was baptised and they were baptised with him. Interesting way of thinking about it, different to us. So that's Judaism. Then, of course, John the Baptist comes. And then John takes what the Jews used to apply to Gentiles. And John was saying, you Jews are no better than the Gentiles. You're just as unclean as they are. You need to be baptised. You need to come and confess your sins before God. You need to have a baptism of repentance. Change your mind, change your ways, and 
recommit yourself to following him. Interesting, isn't it? Took a practice which was for Gentiles and applied it to the Jews. So you can understand why some people were quite miffed with John of what he was saying to them. Jesus then, of course, is baptised by John. Jesus has his disciples baptise his followers. Jesus didn't do it. He had his disciples do it, John chapter 4. And then, of course, at the end, after Jesus' death and resurrection, then you get this very clear institution. You get this um, modification of baptism, but you get this um, instituting of it, this um, making it permanent. I want you to do this until I return. That's the Great Commission. It's where Jesus says, go into all the world, make disciples, baptise them. Modified in the name of the Father, the Son and the Spirit. And teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you to the end of the age. Do this until I come back, until the end of the age. The Lord Jesus is the one who instituted it. And that Great Commission, that statement about baptism, Matthew 28, which we didn't read this morning, but we've read numerous occasions, is probably the most important statement about baptism in the New Testament, in my mind. This tells us these six things very quickly. Number one, it's a command of Christ. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore, make disciples, baptise them. Notice, the person who has made a disciple is not commanded at that point. It's the people who are making the disciples who are commanded at that point. We are commanded to baptise them. And they are commanded in other passages to submit to that. That's why you have Philip in that passage that Don read to us, where the Ethiopian eunuch, in hearing the gospel, says, look, here is water. What prevents me from being baptised? Philip clearly fulfilled this command of the Lord Jesus, instruct them to be baptised. That's certainly what Peter does in Acts chapter 10 when he goes to the house of Cornelius. Preaches the gospel, the Holy Spirit comes upon them, they speak in tongues and they're praising God and they're clearly obviously converted. Peter talks to the mates that came with him, the Jewish friends, Christians, and said to them, if they've received the Holy Spirit as we have, what prevents them from being baptised? 1048. Then Peter commanded them to be baptised. Commanded them. It is required. The Lord Jesus wants his followers to be baptised. Number two, Matthew 28 also emphasises for us this is based upon the completed work of the Lord Jesus, his work of redemption. It proclaims his death and his resurrection, Romans 6. It's linked with evangelism. In fact, the order is very clear. It's evangelism, response to evangelism, repentance and faith, and then there is baptism. The order is significant, we believe. Baptism is subordinate to evangelism and saving faith. Did you hear that? Baptism is subordinate to. Baptism is not the most important thing we do. It's a thing we do. The most important thing we do is evangelism. Presenting the gospel to the lost world, calling them to come into submission to the Lordship of Jesus. Baptism does not confer saving grace because it is given to people who already have it. They're already saved. Number four, baptism is administered into the name of the triune God, name of the Father, Son and Holy Spirit. That certainly implies the disciple has some understanding, some knowledge of the true and living God. Uh, that there's been some sort of instruction um, and 
what it means for him to be baptised into the name of the Trinity. Um, number five, baptism clearly is to lead to a life of instruction and obedience. Teach them to obey all that I have commanded you. Pass it on. Keep passing it on. That's our responsibility to the next generation. So the order is evangelism, response to the gospel, faith, Response to having faith, obedience is baptism. Having been baptised, commitment to a life of instruction and obedience, following the Lord Jesus. And as I've already indicated, this continues throughout time until the Lord Jesus returns. What are the requirements for baptism? Well, because of time, it's repentance and faith. This is uh, our particular view. Um, as I'll say again in, in a few minutes, there are Bible-believing Christians who have a slightly different view to us. They follow Jesus like we do. Uh, they read the scriptures as well as we do. They are good Bible teachers. They have a different view on baptism. Well, they have a yeah, slightly different view, not a very different view. But we believe and understand the Bible teaches consistently that the two requirements for baptism are repentance, change of mind. You've got to hear the gospel, be convicted of sin. You have to respond to that. Acts 17, verse 13, 31 says uh, that God has now overlooked sins of ignorance of the past, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. He's appointed a man and a judge, and he's given proof of that by raising him from the dead. So repentance, and secondly, it's faith. The Lord Jesus came preaching. The kingdom of God has come near you. Repent and believe the gospel. In Acts 20, verse 21, the apostle Paul talking to the Ephesian elders says, I didn't hesitate to teach you for three years from house to house and publicly both repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Repentance and faith. That's not all the New Testament says about it, but it is what the New Testament says about it. Repentance and faith are the requirements for baptism. Is it important? Well, you've heard me say before and probably on numerous occasions over the years that when I first became a follower of the Lord Jesus, I had all sorts of reasons why I didn't get baptised. It took me three years before I came to the point of, oh, it's a command. And it was actually a Baptist pastor who, I'm not sure he still is now, but his name's Merv Olson, Pastor Merv Olson. And he was in the Randra, my hometown, when... I became a converted uh, a Christian and it was Merv who took me aside, opened Matthew 28, <clears throat> knew that I was hesitating about baptism, knew that I thought I, it's cultural, it's not relevant anymore, um, it's not essential. Took me aside, opened Matthew 28, that key passage, and he simply said, do you believe that? You have to go into the world to make disciples? Yep. Do you believe that? You have to teach them to obey everything I command? Yep. Well, then why don't you believe that? and baptised them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I went, oh, how can you believe that and believe that and not believe that? It all goes together or it doesn't. So I got baptised. Out of a pure obedience. Um, there was no other motivation for me. It was simply, okay, I now understand Jesus commanded it and I need to be obedient to him. So Rhonda and I actually got baptised together. told you before, she got baptised twice. On that one day <clears throat> you can ask me about it later if you don't know the story if we take the bible seriously and we at Sunnybank district baptist church take the bible seriously it's god's word to us therefore we cannot treat baptism lightly 
It's important. It's commanded. And if we, Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. If we're serious about following and obeying Jesus, we'll be serious about obeying this command. Um, it was practiced by the early church, by the apostles. In fact, you can't find a New Testament reference where it doesn't happen. It's assumed the people Paul is writing to, or the other authors are writing to, Peter, that people have been baptized. They write on the basis that, of course, you've been baptized. Therefore, this. So it's assumed. Um, and certainly the Lord Jesus submitted to it. I think that's a weak argument, but nonetheless, it is an argument. Um, and Peter tells us that Jesus left us an example to follow in his steps. If Jesus did it, and we follow him, and he's commanded this, well, then we should follow his example and certainly obey his command. Question, is baptism necessary for salvation? I'll come back to this again in a minute slightly differently. But the answer is no. It's not necessary for salvation. Salvation is by grace through faith in Christ, based on his death and resurrection. But salvation results in obedience. Salvation results in baptism. But it's not necessary for baptism. And we all like to quote the thief on the cross. Well, he was saved, but he wasn't baptised. But that might be not a fair argument to those who have the opposite view. Who should be baptised? Well, this is the area of a dispute, isn't it? For us as a church, we have a particular position, which we believe is what the Bible teaches. As I said already, there are Bible-believing Christians who teach God's word, love God's word, follow Jesus, and they believe sincerely that it's okay to baptise infants. That's not our position. But it is their position, and we are to respect them. We don't have to agree, but we do need to respect. And their position might even be a bit narrower than that. They only baptise the infants of those who have believing parents or where there is one believing parent. That, I think, is the normal position. They are our brothers and sisters in Christ. They use the Bible. They have good theology. And they follow. And they belong to the church. But as far as I know, there is no Bible-believing church anywhere that teaches that baptism saves or that teaches that baptism is not important. There could be one very small exception to that, and that might be the Salvation Army, who do not celebrate the ordinances or the sacraments. They don't have the Lord's Supper, and they do not have baptism. But they replace baptism by the wearing of a uniform. Though there are Bible-believing churches... Um, who say, if you are not baptised, you're not saved. It's the Churches of Christ, not the Churches of Christ you're familiar with here in Queensland or Australia, though there is a branch of the Churches of Christ who have a very particular narrow view on this. If you know the author Max Licata, whom I know and love, he used to be in this church. He's not anymore. He left that church because of this teaching. We had a, a group of these in my previous church. They believe, churches of Christ, followers of Jesus, you have to be baptised to be saved. You are saved by faith through Christ in Christ. That leads to obedience, which leads to baptism. Baptism is an indication of your obedience and submission to Christ. If you're not baptised, you're not obedient. If you're not obedient, you probably don't confess he is Lord. Therefore, to be saved, you need to be baptised. Follow? 
To which I say, thief on the cross. And they say, no, after that, after the resurrection. Um, I think they're wrong. Um, I think that the baptism is certainly important and for them they're saying, therefore we must obey. There are all different sorts of different views on these questions and issues, I'm quite sure. And our church has taken a reasonably middle-of-the-road approach. There are some churches who take a very narrow view that say, after having believed, you must be baptised, and you must be baptised not only as a believer, but you must be baptised only one way. That's by immersion. No other way is acceptable. That's not our church's position. Our churches, uh, over the years, and through experiences and questions that have been raised and answered, our position is, baptism is for those who are believers, followers of the Lord Jesus. It's an act of obedience. It's preferable by immersion. Immersion's the best way. Immersion has the best picture for what baptism is about. But there could be some exceptional circumstances where baptism by immersion is not practical, it's not possible. And so we are willing to make some exceptional cases. So our position is that baptism is by, of believers by immersion, preferably. If a person comes to our church and they want to join our church, have you been baptised as a believer? Yes. Was it by immersion? No. Well, let's talk about it. Do you want to get baptised by immersion or do you think that baptism was valid? And That's between you and God and we let the person decide. New South Wales, I'm not sure about Queensland. New South Wales in our doctrinal statement, um, Queensland would be very similar to this. The statement actually says that it's of baptism as believers only by immersion. Baptism is of believers only by immersion. Problem. Where do you put the comma? Baptism is of believers only, comma, by immersion. Or, baptism is of believers, comma, only by immersion. That's the debate. And our church has decided that it's baptism of believers only, comma, preferably by immersion. Which I think is a good, sound, sensible position to be in. Because the who of baptism is far more important than the how of baptism. That's my particular view. Having mentioned the how of baptism, how should we be baptised? Well, preferably by immersion. Why? Well, because the Greek word baptizo means to dip, to immerse, to plunge, submerge. That's what it means. That's what's used of dying of a garment, you know, the sinking of a ship. A person drowns. It's baptizo. He hadn't been poured on, he hasn't been sprinkled, he's been sunk. The word means that it's primary meaning, primary meaning. Words always have a range of meaning and you'll find that described also in the New Testament. It's the best picture, as I said, of a person who is died to their old life, so there, what do you do with dead people? You bury them. That's under the water. And then like Jesus rose from dead, so we rise. That's immersion and that's therefore to walk in newness of life. <clears throat> It's not the full picture of what the New Testament says about baptism. It also talks about forgiveness of sins, cleansing and washing away of sin and of new birth. And there could be other pictures better demonstrated by other ways. In fact, the uh, president of the Baptist Union of Great Britain and Ireland, Stephen Gorkrodger, a few years ago, he said that the, the best way to do it is actually to do both. Take a person into the baptistry, baptise them by immersion. Then when they come up out of, the worship, out of the pool, have them stand there. You pray for them. 
You pray for God's spirit to be poured out upon them and for God to bless them. And in doing that, he takes a cup of water or a glass of whatever, a container of water, and he pours it over them. So he's actually doing immersion and diffusion. President of the Baptist Union, Great Britain and Ireland. Moving on. Why should you get baptised? And I'll use this to draw this to a close. Many people have lots of reasons and excuses. I don't want to. I don't need to. Baptism's inconvenient. I'm frightened of water. I've had some of those over the years. I don't want to look foolish publicly. Um, I'm nervous about public speaking. I'm nervous about public anything. Um, I've been a Christian for years, and so now it's not necessary. You know, I've come from another denomination. I've now come to a Baptist church, and I want to belong to the Baptist church. I want to be a member here. Um, but I was baptised as an infant or whatever, and whatever the reasons. Why should you be baptised? Well, because it's commanded. Because it was common. And because, like I said, Jesus was baptised and he wants us to be baptised. Bottom of the day, it's an act of obedience. Who's in charge in your life? We can't pick and choose what we're going to do for the Lord. It's not my will, but yours be done. So at the end of the day, it's countercultural. We live in a society which is increasingly lawless, increasingly disobedient to structures, increasingly wanting to do their own way. It's manifested in families, in schools and in our society. If you don't think we live in a law society, go for a drive on the gateway and obey the speed limit. You'll be the slowest car on the gateway. Because there's this spirit of lawlessness that pervades our society and it pervades us. We have to wrestle against that all the time. It's our predisposition to sin and self and our own individualism. That's one reason why you should get baptised. Because you're not in charge of your life. He is. And that's what you're saying. I submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I obey him. So baptism is a wonderful thing. It's an important thing. But sadly, it's also a controversial and sometimes confusing thing. It's important if for no other reason than simply because Jesus commanded it. Four quick questions and then application and prayer. Should you be rebaptized? person comes to me and says I was baptized as an infant should I get baptized by immersion my answer would be yes because the bible teaches that is the preferable way must you that's between you and God what about if a person says I was baptized as a believer but by sprinkling or by pouring do I need to be immersed well, let's talk about it and look at the Bible, but it's between you and God. Do you want to do that? If you do, then we can. But if you think that pouring or sprinkling was your baptism, then that's acceptable too. That's between you and God. This is common. Third, can I be baptised again because I got astray and I sinned and I messed up my life and now I've repented? Can I get baptised again and recommit my life? No. You get baptised once. You get born again once. If you were a baptised believer and you strayed, you fell into sin, and then you've come back, you've repented, then it's through confession and recommitment, not through baptism, that you demonstrate that. And, of course, each of these must be taken on a case-by-case -case basis. There's no firm, hard and fast rule, but they're the guiding general principles. 
Okay, questions for you to consider personally. Number one, have you been confronted with the truth about Jesus and about yourself? Do you know who he is and what he did and why he did it? Do you understand that? Have you been confronted with the truth about yourself, that you're a sinner and that you fall short of his standards and you're separated from the true and living God, the one who made you and loves you? Number two, have you been convicted by the truth of the gospel? Convicted by the work of the Spirit of God that you need to repent, that you need to call on the Lord Jesus and say, please forgive me, please cleanse me and accept me as your child. Have you trusted Christ? Have you received his forgiveness? Have you confessed that if you have through your life, your words and through baptism? That's what he commands. Have you been baptised as a follower of the Lord Jesus, as a believer? Now, for many of you here this morning, you're going to answer yes to all of those. And we have some present who will say yes to all of those, but I wasn't baptised as a believer, but I was baptised in a believing family. And for me, that was my baptism. I follow Jesus. Well, praise the Lord. And for you and for all of us, continue to follow Jesus. Commit yourself to his teaching. That's Bible reading, it's listening to teaching in church, it's being in a life group, it's reading, listening to podcasts or books or whatever. Commit yourself to his teaching and to obeying it. Commit yourself to fellowship with God's people, fellowship with him personally and fellowship with other believers. Commit yourself to attending the Lord's Supper and to prayer. Privately but also corporately. Last question because of that. Can I have the Lord's Supper if I haven't been baptised? Our church? Yes. We have an open table. If you confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour, you're welcome to have the elements, the table. Belief gets you into the kingdom. Not any sacrament, not any ordinance, not any ritual. Repenting and believing in Jesus. Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for your word. Thank you for Jesus. And that all that he has done for us, the new through him, lived a perfect life of obedience, died a sacrificial, substitutionary death, rose victorious from the grave, ascended into heaven where he now rules, will return soon and take those who bow the knee to him to themselves, to himself. Thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit who applies the gospel, the teaching of Jesus to each of our lives. Lord, humble us. We submit ourselves to your Lordship. Help us to read your word sincerely and correctly. Help us to be fully obedient to that which you teach and require of us. And transform us increasingly to be like you lord jesus full of grace and truth to the honor and glory of your name we pray amen